You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Hi, everybody. I am Andrew. Thanks for introducing me, Jeff. This is my name. Uh, Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. For your goodness, for your faithfulness, for being so good to us. We thank you for an anchor of hope that we can hold on to as your people, as your beloved children. So Lord, as we continue in worship together and as we look at your word together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, hi, Riverside. I am Andrew. And uh, last week we talked about how we were at the very end of the year, the end of the Christian year, the church year, the church calendar, right? Uh, that, which means that today now is a new beginning. We are in a new season, a new, a new cycle has begun, and it begins today. Um, so it's a, new, it's a new journey through the story of Jesus together. And the Christian calendar, just so you know, is, is anchored specifically in the story of Jesus in particular. Uh, it doesn't attempt to tell the whole story from Genesis to Revelation, because that is a very long story. Um, if you've tried to read the Bible in a year, or have successfully read the Bible in a year, you know that it takes quite a bit of time each day, and then when you fall behind, you know, it becomes overwhelming, right? It snowballs. Uh, so we don't try to tackle Genesis to Revelation in 52 Sundays every year. That would be quite a task. But what the calendar rhythms do is they make sure that we don't miss out on central movements of Jesus and his ministry, right? Because that's what, that's what this is all about. It's about the ministry of Jesus. Um, Jesus' story is, in many senses, our story, right? Uh, So we return to them every single year. It's built around the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his anticipation, that's where we are now, but then his birth, his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his sending of the Holy Spirit. That whole story we try to tell every single year. And hopefully, those elements, those world, globe and life-changing elements wear deep grooves into our souls as we go through these stories again and again. So the first block of time in the Christian calendar is Advent. So it's a time of waiting in anticipation. And most of us don't like waiting, right? I don't like waiting. I'm not a big fan. Long lines. Uh, Being stuck in traffic. Don't like it. Waiting for the results of a medical procedure, those, that's an even worse kind of waiting. Um, waiting, it's not fun. But it also depends on what you're waiting for, right? How, how we wait depends on what we're waiting for, and it matters how we occupy ourselves while we're waiting, right? Because not all waiting is equal. Sometimes you're prepared to wait. Sometimes you're unprepared to wait. Sometimes you're waiting for something you're excited about. Sometimes you're waiting for something 
you are dreading, right? Advent reminds us that we are people of the Messiah who are waiting for the Messiah. Okay? We are people of the Messiah who are waiting for the Messiah. Not for the Messiah to come the first time. That's not what we're waiting for. We're waiting for our Messiah to return. We're we're waiting for King Jesus to return. So, in many ways, in this time of year, we sort of turn back the clock um, in, in sort of a sense to anticipation before the birth of Jesus. And we draw from it all sorts of lessons and visions of what it might look like to let earth receive her king. You might have sung that once or twice. We lean heavily into the ways and practices of the Messiah King, knowing that he will come to dwell with us again. He will come to dwell with us again, to dwell among us again. He is our God who comes to us. And that's a theme that we'll come back to again and again throughout Advent this year. God comes to us. So the first virtue we're going to lean into today is that of hope. And it's always sort of made sense to me that you start with hope, right? What are you hoping for? It just just seems like a good starting point, hope. Um, But reflecting on this passage and reflecting on it this year, it strikes me as a little bit more more exciting, more profound than maybe in years past. Um, Because it starts with hope. It doesn't start with fear. The story doesn't start with doubt. The story doesn't start with despair, right? That's where it could start, but the story starts with, with, with hope. Not a hope that, well, maybe we might turn this thing around after all. Not that kind of a hope. And not a hope that uh, we might all discover the true meaning of Christmas and sing an inspirational song with Santa and his elves. Not that kind of a hope. That makes for great fodder for Christmas movies, but... Not great for hope, right, in our actual real day-to-day lives. So what, what are we hoping for and what are we doing while we, while we wait? That, those are the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, Nina read for us from Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Skip ahead to verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That, that's, our, that's our hope. He will dwell with us. He will come and be with us. Just like, just like Jesus came and was born in a manger, that story that we tell over and over again, he will come and dwell with us once again, but as an adult, right? And of course, Jesus became, he, he grew up. That happened too, okay? That happened earlier before. Um, but he will come as an adult. So, and then verse 5, I just want to point this out one more time. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Making everything new. This is, this is our hope, that, that Jesus is making everything new. What has become old, he is making new. So Advent hope looks all the way to this picture in Revelation 21, and you might be like, come on, Andrew, you're giving away the ending. It's like, it's like the first day of the year, and you're giving away the ending of the story. Um, yeah, just like that. Just like that, we're just going to give away the ending. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't even say spoiler alert. I didn't say any of that stuff. Sorry, I just gave away the ending. Um, some of you guys like spoilers, yeah? Who likes, who likes to read the last chapter of books? 
I know there's a few. I know I live with one. Um, somebody wanted to dive into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and start with Endgame. Somebody thought that was a great idea, right, y'all? It's okay. It's okay to do that sort of stuff. It's okay. It's okay to fast forward to the end of the story at the beginning because our hope is sure and certain. Because it is okay to be clear and precise in how we talk about hope right from the beginning of the year. It's, it's okay to be clear and precise about what we're hoping for. Our hope is in Jesus, right? As the story said in Revelation 21, our hope is in Jesus. Our destination is a holy city. We look forward to Christ reigning in our midst in something called a new heaven and a new earth, which I can't exactly picture, but there's some really beautiful descriptions in Revelation. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Everything will be made new. That is all going to happen. That is trustworthy and true. That is our hope. Come on. Somebody heard that, right? We've known this to be our hope for 2,000 years. This, this, this hope, this story has been our hope as Christ's people for 2,000 years. So we've waited. We've waited for nearly 2,000 years as a people. So what is Advent for? Advent reminds us that we are people of the Messiah who are waiting for the Messiah. Advent teaches us how to wait because what we're waiting for and how we occupy our time while we're waiting matters, right? Hope defines how we wait. Hope defines how we wait. So you can be productive while you wait, right? You might have read some business books about this. A lot of wisdom around there, right? You always show up, to early, show up early to meetings and always bring a book so that you're not wasting time, right? You've got all these practical tips. When you unexpectedly have 10 minutes so that you know what you're going to do, my favorite is to lean into the rare occasion of having nothing to do in the middle of the day and just let the mind wander and soak into boredom. You ever tried this? Like allow yourself to be bored instead of, I, I, my hands don't work very well, but you can like pull your phone out of your pocket. You, you, know, you know what this is, right? When you have, you have a few minutes, you just take your phone out. You know what you do? You just start scrolling. And I think Advent has something better for us than doom scrolling, right? I really do. I do think that Advent has something better for us than just doom scrolling as we occupy our time. It invites us to hope, and hope, hope invites us to participation. I'll never forget a moment when this, this idea kind of struck me. Um, I was in college attending a lecture, and uh, it was not at my college. We went to a different school. But the guest lecture was walking through all these passages from Isaiah that were passages about, that I identified immediately in my, in my mind as passages about Jesus, passages about the coming Messiah. You've, you've read them. There's a lot of them. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35. There's, there's, there's a lot of allusions to and, and speaking about the Messiah and what he will look like in Isaiah. But uh, so this, so he was looking at several of these passages. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull one of them out right now, Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. You've heard this before, perhaps. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And what this professor said, talking about passages like this, uh, changed the way I look at Scripture forever. He pointed out that often when we read a passage like this, we think of Jesus, right? I was like, yeah, I'm tracking with you. That's exactly what I do when I, when I read this passage. Jesse is the father of David, right? And, and the Scriptures talk, take good care to show us that, da- that Jesus descends from the line of David and from the line of Jesse. So, like, we're supposed to make that connection. That is good for us to make that connection. Um. The Spirit of the Lord rests on Jesus in ways that are different and more complete than any seen before. Jesus demonstrates all these things, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, justice, righteousness, etc., all of it. Jesus embodies it fully. But when I read these words and only think of Jesus, and only think of him, let's bear with me. I think think we're okay, but just bear with me. If I read these and only think of Jesus, I'm tempted to let myself off the hook. Okay, I'm saying that, but let's keep going. These are descriptions of the Messiah or the Christ. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is another word for Messiah. So Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the one who came to fulfill all our hopes, right? That's a title. He was the one in whom all the ancient Israelites put their hope. And as followers of Jesus, we are people of the Messiah, people of Christ, Christians. You might have called yourself that before or been called that before. Christian. People of Christ, people of the Messiah, people of, of, of this, this, this man, Jesus. It's right there in the title. So, sorry, this is what scrambled my brain all these years ago in that chapel. It doesn't make sense that people of the Messiah would be called, wait, sorry. Doesn't it make sense that people of the Messiah would be called to live like the Messiah? Right? To live as a representation of the Messiah on earth? If we're going to bear his name and call ourselves Christians, perhaps we should live in the way that he lived. That the teaching of Scripture on the ministry of the Messiah would also apply to us in a secondary way, but as well. That we shouldn't say, oh, Jesus took care of all that, therefore I don't have to do it. I don't have to pursue any of those things because Jesus took care of it, right? Jesus did in a very real way take care of it and does take care of it, but... We are still invited into the way of the Messiah, right? The way of Jesus, the way of Christ, to be Christian. So I would often read these passages at Christmas time and think how lovely Jesus did all that stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's open presents. Right? But how do these passages that we so closely associate with Christmas also transform our lives? Also take root in our hearts? Also invite us into a new way of living. I had never thought of that before, and this professor just kind of opened my eyes a long time ago. There's all these beautiful hymn-worthy words. They're proclamations of a hope-filled vision that changes, and changes that the Messiah would bring to the world, right? That he has guaranteed for the world, and that as part of following the Messiah and giving my life over to him is to lean into that vision in the here and now. So, what Jesus Christ fulfilled in his ministry, what Jesus Christ fulfilled in his ministry is still being fulfilled in the faithful work of the saints in the church, right? We're continuing on the ministry of the Messiah. We're continuing on his work in the church. And it was a thrill of excitement and hope that these texts don't just need to live in carols and Christmas cards, but actually in the world. 
So what might it look like for the people of Jesus to live out these words we just read from Isaiah 11? He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Again, hope invites us into participation. How are we going to participate? How are we going to participate in something like that? I said early on, earlier today, that hope is about waiting and that it matters greatly, one, who or what we are waiting for, and two, how we occupy ourselves while we are waiting. So who or what we are waiting for is that beautiful picture that Nina read for us from Revelation 21. That is who and what we are waiting for. We are waiting for all things to be made new. All things to be made new. That is our picture, our vision of hope. But how do we occupy ourselves as people of hope who wait for God to come to us again? Okay? What does it look like to live hopefully? What sort of actions accompany the virtue of hope? It's difficult because we think of hope as more of an attitude than an action, right? Hope feels more like attitude-y than, than active. Like, how do I, I'm hoping today. I'm going to go out and get a few hopes in before breakfast, right? Like, it, it feels like not very active. The other virtues of the season, peace, joy, love, like we can get those. Those are a little bit more, a little bit more like, I'm going to go practice joy. I'm going to go practice. I'm going to go love somebody. I'm going to go seek peace, right? They just have a little bit more heft to them. Love is a verb, actually, right? But okay, hope is active or verb-like in the sense of this. Maybe you agree with me. That it is an antidote to a force that is quite powerful in our world, and that is despair. You may be familiar with despair. You may have heard about it. You may have been on the precipice of it at some point in your life. But hope is an antidote for that thing, despair that creeps in and that is pervasive, I'd say, in the world around us. Last week, I was unpacking Isaiah 59. It was full of these really clear and precise and sobering judgments against the world and against the behavior of God's people as well. Very clear, very precise, very the judgments. So one possible response to hearing those kind of judgments and proclamations about how God's justice and righteousness have been locked out and blocked out, they're far away from God's people, one possible response to reading something like that, the first part of Isaiah 59, is despair. We can read that and just, eh, you're right. It's, everything's bad. Everything's bad and everything's hopeless. This is, this is rough. That is one possible response. Sermon over. No, okay. We're not going to stop. I promise we will not stop there. Okay. That is, that is one, one possible response to all, that, to all that information. So in the face of evidence, in, evidence of evil all around us, and even among us, we may be tempted to lose hope, right? You may have been there. We can't. We must not. That's why Advent starts with hope. And that's why we're starting with hope today. Hope is the very thing that drives out despair. This is the closest I can get to hope as a verb. Hope drives out despair. Hope actively 
tells despair to get out of here. And specifically, hope in Jesus Christ drives out despair. Okay? And we are people of Jesus Christ. We are Christians, remember? At least the vast majority of us here. Part of our task as Christians and as people of the Messiah, people who follow Christ, and as people of hope, is to shine the light of Christ in ways that drive out despair. So anything that people are facing around us that are causing them to lose hope, how do we shine the light of Christ on them? How do we shine the light of hope into people's lives? When people are being offered cheap fixes to expensive problems, causing them to spin and spiral in cycles of self-destruction or addiction, how do we help? How do we step in? How do we offer the hope of Christ and drive out, actively drive out despair in our community? Is it by telling people to just cheer up? No. Is it by telling people that everything's going to work out just fine? No. Is it, by, is it by telling people that they're not really as bad as you're making them out to be? No. Cheering up may not be an option right now for somebody in your life. And everything truly may not work out just fine, at least the thing that they're fixated on. And even if things aren't really as bad as they seem, we have to honor the reality of what people are going through in real time. We have to honor their reality. And looking on the bright side isn't always going to work. But that does not mean there isn't hope. Okay? That does not mean there isn't hope. In fact, these are the moments where hope does its best work. I wish I did have a like, really clear, easy answer to the question, what is the right thing to tell someone who's on the brink of despair? It's not always the exact same thing every time. But I, I, the best answer I do ha- is a very simple one, and that is that God comes to us. When we feel alone, God comes to us. When we put up walls, God comes to us. When we are trapped, God comes to us. When we, are, when, when we were dead to our sins, Christ came to us and died for us. Christ comes to us. I cannot guarantee a particular outcome for particular situations in your life or of mine. Right? As much as I would love to as a pastor to say, I know exactly how this is going to work out. Sometimes I have a good sense. But I cannot guarantee outcomes. I can't guarantee timelines that are convenient or beneficial from my perspective or yours. I cannot guarantee that God will answer your prayers in a timely manner in seven to ten business days like you may hope or desire. I can't guarantee that. And I cannot guarantee that tomorrow will be easier or better than today was. I can't guarantee that. But I can guarantee that God is who he says he is. I can guarantee to you that God has already come to us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ will come again to us in glory. And that his Holy Spirit will come to you and be with you, whether you feel it or not. God has come to you, has come to us, and God will come to us. This is hope. It's not blind optimism. In fact, it's probably not as optimistic as you would like. It may not even be particularly comforting to hear what I just said. But it is hope. 
I hope, I hope you get that sense that it is hope. From a theological perspective, from the idea of how God interacts with us, it is hope. And it's hope that you can count on. Hope that will not let you down. God will come to you. God has come to you. God shows himself to be the God who comes to us. And to live like that is true. To live like God comes to us. To live like God is present. To live like God, God, God cares enough to be there for us. To live like that is to live in hope. To fight against maybe spiritual or economic forces that easily send people to the brink of despair. Right? To enter in to provide relief for people's pain physically or spiritually. To enter into those spaces. That is to live in hope. To fight against, to, to, to eat against despair and get it out of there. To live as a signpost of the Messiah who was, who is, and who is to come is to enter into messy situations, to take on stress sometimes, to seek mercy and justice for those who can't get a break. It's to listen well and not just give pat, an pat answers, but to remind people, to remind ourselves of the God who comes to us. It's to pursue God's intentions for how we live together in the world in an all-encompassing, wholehearted commitment to God's justice and righteousness. Just a little reminder from Revelation 21. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's a promise. That's something we can put our hope in. God is making everything new. Lord, make everything new. And let it begin right here with us. Lord, make everything new and let it begin right here with us. May we live in this hope together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, we thank you for all the ways you are and have been faithful. We inhabit a world that is unpredictable, that is filled with evil and darkness. sin and injustice. And darkness, Lord. But our hope is in you. The one who is present, the one who brings light. the one who breathes into us. Not empty promises or false promises, but true hope anchored in your character, anchored in who you are, anchored in who you've shown yourself to be and who you promise yourself to be. Lord Jesus, continue to be our hope. Continue to shape us into people who drive out despair with the way we live with the way we interact with one another. Help us to carry on the work of Christ as people who bear your name, 
Christians. All things that can only ever be done in your power, in your strength. So Holy Spirit, move among us today. As we come to your table, nourish us, fill us up, strengthen us. Not with more of what we want, but with more of you, with more of your presence. And Spirit, continue to move in our hearts. As we sing, as we pray, as we seek your face together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.